Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Hallelujah. We looked at this last week in our continuing uh, series here. Verse number one says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You know, it's reasonable in one sense. It's just appropriate in light of the, of the mercies of God. It's appropriate that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. But, but in the original Greek, that's, that's the way we use the word re- reasonable today. We, we use it in the sense of befitting. It's befitting or appropriate that we do that. That's not what the word reasonable in the Greek means. The Greek word that's translated reasonable actually means rational or that which comes by reason. In other words, something that you do rationally with, with, with a rational purpose behind it. Do you see the difference? This is our, it's, it's our rational, or you could say our thoughtful service. This isn't something we can do if we don't pay attention to it. Like I said, I think I said it last Sunday, I doubt there are very many Christians that ever even think about presenting their bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Like I said, I came out of a denomination that, that uh, uh, talked about holiness a lot. We were considered a holiness denomination. But the holiness was, was uh, not something that... that they really gave a lot of attention to other than rules and regulations, what you couldn't do and so forth. But this, this isn't talking about living life legally. This is talking about making a presentation of your body to God as a living sacrifice and one that's holy, acceptable to God. And he said, we do this, this is our, this is our thoughtful, rational worship before God. And really, we talked this morning about the sacrifice of praise, which is well-pleasing to God. God is pleased when we praise him. But you know, it's not the only way we worship him. We're supposed to worship him with our lifestyle. The way we live is supposed to be worship to God. Amen. And it's acceptable to him when we live a holy lifestyle and offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, amen. Let's go on down to the next verse. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's really what I want to talk about today, the renewing of your mind. I think few Christians even know that the New Testament has anything to say about their minds. In other words, that they're commanded to do something with their minds. I suspect, knowing what I I remember 
my upbringing, and we were in a, in a church that prided ourselves in believing all the Bible, but I never in my life heard a message on renewing the mind. I would, I would be willing to, to guess that most people you know, Christian people, if you were to ask them tomorrow at work, how's your mind renewal coming? How's the renewing of your mind coming along? Have you, tell me how you've, how you've renewed your mind this week. I, I believe if you ask most Christians that, they would look at you with a blank stare. What are you talking about? Because like I said, I never heard it preached before. So very few Christians really know. Now, they're aware that they have a mind. <laughs> most are. With varying degrees of, of, of information that you could add to that. But, but as far as thinking that God actually requires them to do something purposefully, intentionally, set aside and determined to do something with their minds, most Christians don't know anything about it. Well, amen. Notice in verse one, he said, I beseech you. You could translate that, I beg you. But I don't think that's the best translation because when we use the word beg, we use it usually from the standpoint of weakness. You know, we're, we're, we're needing something and we can't get any other way. So we just beg somebody, you know, plead with somebody. But really what he's saying is I urge you. So Paul was speaking from a standpoint of urgency. He said, I urge you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And he said, do not be conformed to this world. In the original Greek, the tenses, the, the way uh, verbs are used in the Greek, this literally says, stop conforming yourself to this world and begin being transformed. It's interesting that Paul is writing to born-again people Spirit-filled people, no doubt. Now, we don't have any information about the Romans in particular, but we know this, that, that it was the most common experience in the first generation of the church, first century, that people were born again and then they got filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke with tongues. You remember when Paul went to Ephesus and he found some disciples? He said, you know, did you receive the Holy He detected something was missing. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed God and were born again? They said, we haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit. Well, he laid hands on them and they were filled with the Spirit and spoke with other tongues. So you could see from that, that that being filled with the Spirit and speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance was something that was very important. So we can assume then that was true everywhere Paul preached. So we can assume that the Romans were born, we know they were born again because it was written to them as Christians. But we can, we can assume that they were also born again and, and were living you know, uh, uh, for God and yet they were being conformed to this world. He said, stop being conformed to this world. So these Christians in Rome needed to do two things. They needed to do something with their bodies and they needed to do something with their minds. This was something they weren't doing. 
They weren't adequately submitting their bodies or presenting their bodies to God as a living sacrifice and they hadn't been renewing their minds. And he said, I urge you to do it. We have something, if, if our bodies are going to be submitted to God, only we can accomplish that. We're the only ones that can, God will not do it for us. If a, if a believer fails to present his body as a living sacrifice to God, he will go on as a carnal, fleshly Christian all of his Christian life. And God can't help that. We have to make a decision to present our bodies. Well, by the same token, if we don't do something with our minds, he's not gonna do anything with our minds. But think about that for a minute. God expects us to do something with our minds. We're supposed to control our minds. We're supposed to control what goes into our minds. We're supposed to control what we think on, what we believe. And like I said, most Christians never even think about it. Well, it's the truth. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? This word renewing, according to Greek scholars means a renewal, a renovation, a complete change for the better of the believer's mental process. Another Greek scholar said the restoration of the divine image. God has a vision for your mind. God has a prescription for your and my mind. We're not supposed to allow our mind to think just any old way. We're to renew our mind, bring it back to the divine image. What does that mean? The divine image that was in us before sin came. Everything in our mind, everything that our mind is like a gigantic computer or a very powerful computer. And we have been storing data all of our lives from, by everything that's happened to us, everything we've heard, everything we've seen, everything that goes through our mind registers and our opinions, our thoughts, our beliefs and so forth are determined by all of the things that have gone into it. And when, because we live in a world that's going contrary to, the, to God, a lot of the information that's come into our mind is not right. It's not true. It's not godly. And he says we need to renew. We need to restore. We need a renovation of our minds. We says, we, Kenneth Weiss, Greek scholar, said it like this. He said, change your outward expression to one that comes from within and is representative of your inner being by the renewing of your mind. Barclay translation says, your whole mental outlook must be radically altered. 
I'm going to read that again. Your whole mental outlook must be radically altered. The Amplified Bible says, be transformed or changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude. Thus, the change of outward expression is dependent upon the renovation, the complete change of the believer's thinking. Amen. Hallelujah. Go with me to James, the first chapter. I think we looked at this last week, but I want to look at it again. James chapter 1. James 1, general epistle of James, chapter 1, verse 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. You could say... Present your bodies a living sacrifice would be one, one application of that. Lay aside all... Now, now, again, remember, he's not writing to unsaved people. In verse number two of this chapter, in his greetings, he said, my brethren, my brethren. Amen. Chapter two Of this, of this particular uh, epistle talks more about faith and, and the fact that we've been born again, but we have to demonstrate this through action. Isn't that right? So he's talking to saved people. And he said, therefore lay aside all filthiness. We have to do something with this body of ours to make sure that we stay holy And separated before the Lord. He said, and receive with meekness the implanted word. Now notice, which is able to save your souls. It's able to save your souls. Now understand how I'm about to say what I'm, how I say what I'm about to say. In one sense of the word, These people, though they were born again, they were Christians, in one sense of the word, their souls still weren't saved. Because he said, it's able to save your souls. That means that hadn't happened yet. You see, we use the word uh, contemporarily, we use the word the saving of the soul to mean the whole idea of just you know giving your heart to Jesus, receiving him as Lord and Savior, receiving the remission of sins through his blood and, and being born again, receiving eternal life, becoming a child of God. We think that's the saving of the soul. That's not the saving of the soul. That's the saving of the spirit of man. Remember, we're created in the image of God and in his likeness. God is a spirit and you are a spirit. Now you possess a soul, you have a soul, and you can lose your soul. Remember Jesus said, fear him who, who, who can cast both soul and body into hell. He said a man can, can gain the whole world but lose his soul. If you can lose something, that means it's something you possess. You are a spirit creature. Remember Paul prayed, I pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. Man, human beings are three-part in nature. 
fundamentally and foremost, you are a spirit. At the, the James, in this very epistle, he talks about the fact that the body without the spirit is dead. If your spirit left your body, your body would fall down dead. If you were in a car accident and you were suddenly killed, your, your spirit would leave your body and your spirit is the thing that's like God. Your spirit is the part of you that got born again. Your spirit, man, received eternal life and you, in spirit, you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. But now you possess a soul and your soul still needs to be saved in the sense that it needs to be restored. Remember Psalm 23? He restoreth my soul. Well, what do you do when you restore something? You, you take an old piece of furniture, for instance, that you found in a garage sale and you like it and it's, a, you know, it's fundamentally it's sound, but it's kind of beat up, you know, and has paint spilled on it or one thing or another. You take it home, you strip it down. What do you do? You restore it back to its original condition. That's what one of the Greek scholars talked about. He said, restoring the divine image. Well, see, there's a lot of things in our soulish realm. Your soul, when the, when the Bible... Uh, distinguishes between spirit, soul, and body. Well, it's easy to understand the body. It's easy to see that, that, that we're physical. We have a physical body, and, and that's very easily to, to separate from the other two. We know that we're a spirit because God is a spirit. We're created in his image. So with the spirit of man, your, your, your human spirit, the real you, the real you, the one that's received eternal life. With your spirit, you contact God. You contact the spirit realm where God is. With your body, you contact the physical realm. That's easy to see. Well, what other realm is left? The other realm is the mental realm. The soul of man refers to, and, and the Greek word that's translated soul is suke. It's spelled, it's spelled P-S-U-C-H-E. P-S-U-C-H-E. It's the Greek word from which our English words are derived like psyche and, and the other derivatives or other uses of that word. It has to do with the mental, the psychological part of man, our mind, our thoughts, our wills, our determination. That's what the soul of man is. Well, that's something that didn't get changed in the new birth. I know because I got born again and it didn't change. That's why I was still rebellious when I saw President uh, uh, Nixon board that helicopter. I still had, my mind was still in a direction and in a, in a, uh, a, a persuasion that wasn't from God because I hadn't renewed my mind yet. Amen. I uh, I remember as uh, as a young man. Now, actually, I had been saved when I was a child, but I had never been filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a teenager, I backslid and got away from God, and I became more and more rebellious. The uh, in my later teen years, and when I was seventeen years old, I left home and married my wonderful wife 
And we moved out and started our life together. And I was very rebellious. And I had, I had over a, a, quite a few years in my, in my middle to late teens, I had become very uh, 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 persuaded by the philosophies of this world. So I was very much uh, uh, anti-godliness uh, and morality. And I had become more and more corrupt. And uh, I had, now, now we were, in those days, we were called hippies. This is in the late 60s, early 70s, we were called hippies. And I, I had become a small-time drug dealer, not, not big-time, mostly, mostly dealing drugs to my friends, just enough to keep myself with free drugs, you know. Well, I had been transferred on the job. I worked for the phone company, and I'd been transferred down to, first of all, to Dunellen, in July of 1972. And, and then I only stayed there a couple of weeks and, and they moved me to uh, Brooksville, Florida. And I was there for, I don't know, six weeks or something, I don't remember. But while I was there, my drug dealing became more risky because when in Jacksonville, I was dealing drugs to people I knew. When I got to Brooksville, I started dealing drugs to people I didn't know. Well, that, that becomes a whole lot more... Uh, uh, precarious because you know anybody can be a narcotics agent and you wouldn't know it you know so I was really beginning to 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 drift in that realm and become more reckless and uh, I won't go into all that happened but while I was there I got back into fellowship with the Lord I mean I just I, I was I was crying out to God and 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 wanted answers for my life and I and I opened the Bible and and you know I got I got back into fellowship with the Lord well when you're that backslidden it's like being lost. In other words, I didn't have any, any knowledge of, of, uh, of uh, I didn't have any inward witness. I, I didn't live in fellowship with the Lord. I was really doing my best to get all the completely away from the Lord, turn my back on him completely. But when I got back in the fellowship with the Lord, it was like getting saved again. Well, you know, getting born again, again. So I got back in the fellowship with the Lord and uh, that was in sometime around September, uh, I think, of 1972. And I didn't go to church right away because I, didn't, I wasn't really interested in going to church. You know why I wasn't interested in going to church? I'll tell you why. Because my mind wasn't renewed. I had left the church. The, the term hippies came from the, the, first of all, we were called hipsters. And that comes from the word hip. We thought we were hip. We thought we were the cool people. And those people at church, from the church that I came out, they were anti-cool. They were, they were the antithesis of cool. And that's the last thing that I was interested was going back to a corny church with square people. We called, we called them pe- people that weren't drug heads like us. We called them straights. We were the hippies and everybody else were the straights or sometimes we called them the suits. I wasn't the least bit interested in going back and involving myself with the suits and with the straights. Even though I had gotten myself back into fellowship with the Lord, but as I began, I knew this, I knew that I needed to know more. I knew that, and I knew that if I was going to... See, I was raised in a, in a denomination that because of our holiness emphasis, 
Now, I mentioned this, I think, in, in some sense earlier today. We have the idea that we might not make it to heaven. You know, we, we were, we were uh, holding on. We thought if, for instance, we thought if we had a fight with our wife or maybe you're driving in traffic and somebody cuts you off and you say something you shouldn't say, if Jesus comes back in the next instance, you're not going to heaven. That's what we believe. We actually believe that. We were taught that from the pulpit. So there was this always this, this, this fear that I might not make it. And we would have what, what we called testimony services, really complaining services. Midweek service was a complaining service very often. And people would raise their hand to testify and they'd give a decent testimony. And then they'd say, y'all pray for me that I'll hold out faithful to the end because we don't know whether we can or not. Well, when I got back into fellowship with the Lord, I knew then I, I suddenly realized how far I had drifted away from God. And I knew I better do, I cannot afford to go back to that. So I was very concerned that I would make it. I wanted to make sure that I didn't backslide. And I knew the only way to do that is I'm gonna need to get into the Bible. So I started reading the Bible, reading the Bible. I mean, I read it day and night. Well, it wasn't very long before I realized I need to go to church because that's in the New Testament. You can't read the New Testament and believe that it's not necessary to go to church. You can't. So I realized, well, I'm gonna have to go back to church. So I started going back to church. But you know, when I started going back to church, I didn't know anything about my rights and privileges in Christ Jesus. I didn't know anything about it. I, I was studying my Bible. I was studying a reference Bible and, and it was primarily a denominational, kind of mainstream denominational reference Bible. And so I was learning some things but I didn't know anything about righteousness. I had never in my life heard a message on the believer's righteousness in Christ, ever in my life. Most of our messages in our particular holiness and Pentecostal denomination, most of our messages were evangelistic. Sunday morning, Sunday night, midweek, it was all evangelism. And the reason for that, it was stirring people up to not miss heaven. Because we know you're sinning out there, but you're supposed to be holy. And so there were evangelistic services always welcoming people back to the altar to repent and get right with God again and again and again and again and again. There was no foundation. If anybody in my previous church, if anybody had ever dared to say anything so reckless as I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that would have been considered heresy. I mean, you would have been driven out of the church. So I didn't know anything about my righteousness. I didn't know about anything about uh, uh, the redemptive, the redemptive uh, realities, who I was in Christ. I didn't know I was united with Christ. I was one with him. I just knew I was saved. I just, I knew I was not gonna go to hell. If Jesus did come back, you know, my, my concept of God was, you know, he's making his list, he's checking it twice. He's gonna find out who's naughty and nice. You better watch out. Better not doubt. <laughs> better not sin. Because Jesus is coming back to town. 
You know, when he comes back, I can't afford to have just sinned. And so that's, that's, that's what we focused on. I didn't know anything about his grace other than he was gracious to forgive me if I sinned, but I didn't know anything about his keeping grace. I didn't know anything about, uh, uh, I didn't know anything about sonship. I didn't really realize he was my father and I was his very child and I, and I belonged to the family and I had rights and pri- I didn't know any of those things. I didn't know anything about giving. I didn't give. I didn't want to give. I wanted to keep. <laughs> I had been back in the church for a while, maybe a year or two and I remember I had a conversation with the pastor because they always received tithes and offerings. And I had known this pastor since I was a young boy because it was the church I had gone to when I was younger. So I, and, and, I, and I was very close friends with his son. He and I were best friends growing up. And uh, his son was backslidden at the time, but I had come back. And uh, so I went to the pastor and I said, I don't understand all this about tithes. Tithing is under the old covenant. Now, see, I had read enough to see that tithing was something they did under the old covenant. So I told the pastor, I said, tithing's under the old covenant. Why are we doing it? And he said, no, son. He said, it was under the old covenant, but it was before the old covenant. And it's still valid today. And it didn't satisfy me, but I thought, okay, if you say so, but I still didn't take it. I didn't buy it right at first. So I wasn't giving. Well, because I wasn't giving, I wasn't enjoying the blessing of God. I wasn't prospering. I didn't, know, I didn't even know you were supposed to prosper. We weren't taught we were supposed to prosper. We were taught if we can just make it in, if we can just make it in, and people would testify and they'd say, oh, you know, I don't want any of this world's goods. I don't want anything in this life. I, it, Lord, if you'll just, I know that you've, you've, you've built a mansion for me in heaven, but I'll be satisfied with a little cabin down by the creek. Just some little corner dive in heaven be all I need. And we thought that was being humble. What is all of that? A failure to renew our minds. Well, people, people cannot have the blessing of God unless they act in faith on the promises of God. But you can't act in faith on the promises of God when your thinking is wrong. And see, my thinking was all wrong in so many areas. I, I, my think, if you don't think right, you can't believe right. That's why Paul said, get your mind renewed with the word of God. Because if you're not thinking right, you can't, you can't possibly believe right. It'll mess your believing up. And if your believing is fouled up, then your talking is going to be fouled up. And then you're really going to be fouled up. Because you're saying, and I was saying all the wrong things. Well, you know, I had to get my mind renewed with the word of God. When I got into the Bible and started, I had never heard about faith. I knew faith for salvation, but I didn't know anything about the principle. I didn't know you could get your prayers answered every time. Nobody had ever, nobody had even suggested anything like that in my church. That you can all, God will always say yes to you. We always were heard, well, God always answers prayers, but sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait a while. That was our theology. Well, how many of you know that if that's your theology, then most of the time you're going to hear wait a while. Or no. 
I didn't know that I could go to the Bible and any promise in the New Testament, anything the Bible says was mine, I didn't know that I could go to God and ask him for it and be absolute confidence, be absolutely confident that I would have it. I didn't know that. Nobody ever taught me that. When I found that out, you talking about changing my life? When I got my mind renewed to faith, when I got my mind renewed to authority, I thought we went through life sort of like a ball in a pinball machine. Younger people don't know anything about that, but I don't think, but older people, remember the pinball machine? And our, our lives were like that ball in the pinball machine. We just went bouncing from one thing to another. Hold on to your hat and hope to make it into heaven. I found out that I had authority in this life that God gave me victory and I could stand on the word of God and I could run the devil out of my life. I was sick. I had asthma. Doug talks about asthma. I had asthma. I didn't have it all the time, but I had it every spring. March, April, and May, every year I'd have asthma. And I couldn't breathe when the, when the, uh, the pollen and stuff would affect me. And I'd, I'd you know, uh, uh, and, and I, I didn't know, but I found out. I got my mind renewed. Wait a minute. That's part of the curse. Christ has redeemed me from the curse. Glory to God. And I will take all sickness away from you and fulfill the number of your days. When I found out that himself took my infirmity, he took my asthma, he bore it. You're talking about, see, the renewing of your mind changes the way you think so that you know how to believe. Most important thing in the world for a Christian is to get his mind renewed with the word of God. Well, amen. Praise God. Well, better quit here. Hallelujah. Thank God. Go soak in the word. You want to be a victorious Christian? Soak yourself in the word. Get into the word of God. Read it. Meditate on it, the New Testament. Find out what belongs to you and and feed that into your mind. When you do that, you will start reprogramming your suke. You'll start reprogramming your mind. You'll start reprogramming your will. Remember, the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. The Word of God will affect your, your, your thinking. It'll affect your believing It'll affect, it'll affect your will, what you want. It'll start changing the things you want. It'll start creating in you a greater and greater desire for God and it'll start weaning your affections off of this world. But it comes by the renewing of your mind. If you could look this way, if you could say spirit, soul, and body. If you saw three circles, spirit, soul, and body. The center there is the most important one, the soul. Because if the soul sides in with the body, you'll stay carnal all of your life. But if you get your soul renewed with the word of God and it begins to side in with your recreated born again spirit, it'll drag your body along. The other way, your soul buddies up with your body, it'll drag your spirit through life like a, like a, like a prisoner. And you'll be imprisoned on the inside. You'll be under condemnation all the time. You'll be under regret and fear all of your days. Your spirit man will be crying out for relief. But your soul and your body have, got, have teamed up together to keep you as a baby Christian. 
But if you start renewing your mind, you get that soul, man, you start getting that mind renewed with the Word of God and the Word of God begins to, to, to team up with your inward man that's been recreated in Christ Jesus and the spirit and the soul become one and united together. I mean, you'll drag your body right out of the mud, right out of fear, right out of sin, right out of rebellion, right out of failure, right out of poverty, right out of sickness, right out of, uh, of all of that. You'll just drag your body right along with you, screaming all the way, glory to God. But Hebrews tells us even we can even have our senses exercised to determine between good and evil. evil. Glory to God. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's all, it's all a result of renewing the mind. And what renews your mind? The Word of God. The pure Word of God. Well, let's stand up. Praise God. Hallelujah to Jesus. Glory, glory, glory. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, that you have given us your holy written word to straighten out our thinking, to get our thinking straightened out. Church, can I say this to you before we go any further in prayer? It's not just worldly thinking you have to straighten out. It's not just worldly thinking that you have to that you have to reprogram with Bible thinking. Religious thinking. Thinking that has come to you via pulpits, Sunday school lessons, grandparents and parents that are religious in nature, but their traditions, they're not found in the Word of God, will hold you in bondage all of your life. And some people are so proud of their, of their religious traditions. They'll tell you straight up, I run into people today. They'll say, well, just let me tell you something, Pastor. This is the way I believe it. Well, who cares how you believe it? What they ought to say, Pastor, I tell you what, this this is what the Word of God says. Now, I'll listen to that. But when somebody says, well, this is just the way I've got it figured out. This is the way my grandpa taught it. This is the way my church has always believed it. And this is just the way I believe it. Yeah, but is it Bible? If it's just religious tradition that has some, you know, Bible verse to prop it up, but when you examine it, it's not really accurate according to the, to the whole Bible, you need to throw those things away. Get free from them. They'll hold you in bondage. The Word of God will straighten out our thinking. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your Word to deliver our thinking, to straighten out our thinking to renew our minds so that we think right and believe right. When we think right and believe right, Father, then we'll start talking right. We'll stop talking doubt and fear, failure and unbelief, doing without. Start talking about who we are in Christ Jesus. The fact that, that, that we've been born again, we've received eternal life, that we have your very nature, your very eternal life coursing through our being. And then we're not mere men. We're supernatural beings full of the Holy Spirit who's in us and empowers us. Glory to God. And we can tread over all of the works of the devil. And every time he raises his ugly head in our life to try to torment us or to confuse us or condemn us or tempt us, we know how to put him in his place through the name of Jesus in the power of the Holy Ghost. Glory to God.
Father, we thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word for this very purpose so that we would know what belongs to us. Believe it and act on it. Glory to God. Thank you for that, Father. Glory to God. Amen. I'm going to say this, the renewing of the mind isn't a one-time thing. It's not just something that happens one time or over a period of time. It happens all of your life. It's an ongoing process. I've been pastoring, you know, over 40 years. I've been, I got back in the fellowship of the Lord in, in the fall of 72. And a lot of things didn't change right away. But when I got, when I got a hold of the word of faith, things begin to radically change in my life. But even today, after all these years, I'm reading the Bible and I'll find things that, oh, you know what? I just see something I never saw before. I'm going to have to stop thinking what I was thinking before. What I was thinking I thought was right isn't right. I see from a passage of Scripture here, and, and it's not just one verse of Scripture. That's why you have to read the entire, particularly the New Testament. You'll receive enlightenment along the way that won't be, it'll be one verse of scripture that sort of opens up but when it does the Holy Spirit shows you how it's in harmony how it fits with all of the other truths of the Bible anytime you get a revelation but it goes counter to the other truths of the New Testament that you know to be true you didn't hear right amen but even today I'll get further illumination along certain lines and it helps my thinking Helps me make adjustments. I just need to make adjustment right here. I, I, I had it. I had it. I had some truth I was operating on, but now I see more truth. That's a that's a that's a, a process that will keep going all of our life. Thank God. Somebody said, "Well, I I was hoping I would just grow up and that would be it." Well, the problem is when you think you're growing up, you aren't. And if that's it, then you're in trouble. No, we're going from glory to glory. We're all still climbing. We're all still getting higher. We're all still going further in God. We're all becoming more mature in Christ. Thank God. I'm, I'm encouraged when I realize that I, I can still change. There's more for me to learn. I can, I, can, I can see more and have more than I've ever had before. Oh, glory to God. It excites me. Amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.